Hey, Chris. What's up, Jason? Just uh, figuring out what's <laughs> going on. <laughs> that sounds like every day of my life. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we are just chatting today. Um, this is the first iteration of a remote Ruby podcast. My name is Jason Charns. I'm a Ruby dev out of Memphis, Tennessee. And Chris, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm uh, Chris Oliver. I work out of St. Louis, Missouri, actually. Um, so we're not too far away, but you know, there's not a whole lot of us Ruby developers in the Midwest, I feel like. But uh, here we are, two of us. And I do uh, GoRails.com, Screencasts, and uh, Hatchbox.io, which is uh, like a Rails hosting product similar in a way to Heroku, but you get to run your own servers and kind of manage your costs a little bit better that way. Cool. I should also mention uh, I work for a company called Podia. And outside of that, I run Southeast Ruby, uh, which we'll probably talk about in a little bit. And then uh, the remote Ruby meetup, which is a meetup that typically happens once a month and uh, is what this podcast is now blooming out of. So, uh, yeah, Chris, what do you want to talk about? Well, um, I actually, have you seen the Ruby 2.6 preview stuff? Uh, I saw it was released and that was about it. Um, one of the really awesome things in, in like Python, cause I came from Python before I did Ruby. Um, so one of the things we always dealt with was these, like, you know, you run your Python script and then you have your .py files and then every file has its own .pyc file, which is like, you know, they just in time compile it. And then next time you run it, if your code didn't change, it would just load the .pyc file. It'd be a lot faster. Um, and it looks like Ruby's kind of going towards doing something like that, which I didn't even know was on the like to-do list at all. I thought Ruby three by three was like all that they were working on performance wise. And like, that's where all the efforts were, but this sounds like it's going to be introducing some pretty awesome performance improvements. And hopefully, you know, it looks like not too many backwards incompatible changes. So it might be something that we can all just upgrade to once it comes out, which would be fantastic. Yeah. I, I'd heard about, uh, JIT, maybe it, RubyConf last year, RailsConf, I can't remember which one. Um, but I think it's, uh, I think it is actually part of like the three by three uh, improvements in that like, I think their vision for three by three is that by the time you get to three, it's three times faster. So, okay. to, so like every year you get like a little boost of something. So yeah, I'm really excited about it. Um, Does that mean that we'll have like a 2.7 come out with some major improvements or whatever? Is that kind of the thinking, I would guess? I would imagine. I know that when Matt's talked about it, uh, RubyConf 2015 maybe, um, he talked about how there was like no set date. And so I imagine that we'll see. I mean, it's purely guessing i don't know but i imagine we'll see like just minor bumps like 2.6 2.7 until they feel three is ready but i'm 
I'm speaking out of ignorance. So <laughs> until Duke Dukem Forever comes out 20 <laughs> years later. <laughs> uh, what else is in two six? Uh, I don't remember. That was the only thing I really cared about. You know, that was like, I'll take that. Um, looks like some other little improvements. Uh, Alien. Okay, so I heard about this um, from Ruby Kaigi. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I pronounce everything horribly. Uh, yield self. I think Matt's talked about how that. He wishes it was named different. It looks like they aliased then as Yield Self. Are you familiar with Yield Self? Uh, yeah, I haven't used it in such a long time, though, that I don't even really remember like the use case. Yeah, it, it's essentially like it returns itself into the next method or next function you call. Um, but What's that helpful for, like DSLs or something like that? Yeah, um, it, if you have like a scenario two where you um, have like four lines and you'd like do a method call store to a variable, pass that variable into another method or another function and store that to a variable, um, oh, yeah. okay. you can okay. just kind of pipe it down. So I got it. That makes sense then. I haven't really used it um, yet because I'm really bad at using new features. <laughs> yeah, I haven't had anything in a while that's really needed an interface or something like that that would benefit from that. Whoa, let's see here. An endless range is introduced. Oh, interesting. So now we can have infinite loops. It works as it has no end. That's cool. It It's not probably super useful, but it's like... I, on one hand, I'm kind of like, how likely are you to make a typo and then accidentally add an infinite loop <laughs> because you didn't type, you know, the end number in there? So I can see why it could be useful, but also I could see like, why wouldn't you just put like an infinite constant or something as the I lost you there for a second. Oh, um, where was I? I, th I, you, I think you just finished your thought on infinite loops. Oh, okay. Well, that, I mean, that was kind of where I was going. <laughs> with it. Like, it, it looks interesting. Three periods. Or one dot dot. I mean, I don't know. Syntax looks a little odd. But it would be cool. Finding source location was added. All in all, looks pretty good. It looks like majority of this is uh, internal updates and stuff, so that's that's good for performance. Yep. Cool. Well, I guess that is something exciting to. I saved something to mess with, but I'll probably not install it until December twenty fifth. Yeah, I was going to say uh, that comes out Christmas, right? I assume so. I would imagine too. That's their tradition, so it would make sense if it ended up then. Um, I was going to bring up. Um, I saw this on some tweets, and then it was in Ruby Weekly. Uh, Stripe building a type checker. 
Yeah, and it, it makes so much sense for a company like Stripe. Like, it's probably hard for them to use Ruby when you're dealing with financial stuff like this, you know? Yeah. Like, if if you screw up anything um, in Stripe, like, that's potentially very, very bad. So you would want to be very careful. So I'm really excited to see this. It's called Sorbet. <clears throat> yes. And the syntax for it looks pretty nice. Um, yeah, just pulled it up. Yeah, it's not like too much overhead or... You you kind of just call it right before a function, the signature or sig method, I guess. Yeah. It's what defines the signature. And then you just say... Um, I guess you just match the... You kind of pass in a hash with the variable name and the type on the other side. It's looks cool. Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, there are like... I don't know, it's maybe a weak argument, uh, but like there are times when I am defining like methods and functions where I reach for uh, like name parameters because I don't know, I feel like if I end up with like more than two or three parameters, it's easy to get the order wrong. Um, so, but in my head, if you can use something like uh, name parameters or uh, keyword arguments, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. Like with a type checker, um, like not all the time, but just choose when you need it uh, or you want to use it. I think that might be a cool combo. I don't know. I assume it works with keyword arguments, but I haven't really looked at it. I believe so. I think you just kind of define which argument and put that as the name. Um, and so that would work with keyword or any other arguments because they all have a name. Um, that seems really handy for anybody building like a gem especially yeah. right? or, or i mean honestly like there's so many problems that people have with rails that come from okay you passed in a single instance instead of a relation you know a collection of this model or whatever and there's so many times where you're just like yo give me one of these we'll be fine instead and if you could enforce that lightly or whatever on the edge of your gem so that when someone pulls down your, you know, pay gem that we're, that we've both been working on uh, a long time ago that we need to finish. Um, <clears throat> but you know, that would, that would be a great use case of this where it's like, uh, we don't want to float. And this is, there's a great example there with Stripe. Like they always use amount in sense, never floats or decimal. Yeah. And so like, they should enforce that or whatever. And that would be very, very handy to tell you. And I think this comes to like a point of like great uh, gems and libraries are always, um, they always have really good error checking. And the way to do that is to validate your types and all of that um, in depth so that you can say, hey, you gave me, you know, 99.10, did you mean... 90 or you know 9910 uh, right. cents instead and then that would be a good place for you to put in like text that's like hey we only accept stuff in cents not in decimals and you should probably also consider doing that in your application and just visually divide into dollars um that i think is something that's I guess just maybe a little bit harder to do in Ruby because we don't have types. Yeah. But, um, 
And this is optional, right? Like it doesn't require you to do this for every method. Right. Then I'm pretty perfect. sure. Let me pull there. I'd imagine it kind of has to be. Yeah, I'm just going to define another method. Uh, yeah, currently in beta, Stripe engineers can opt in for it. Written in modern C++. So it must be like a C extension or something. Yeah, it looks like it is optional because I just defined another method in their playground and then uh, instantiated it, called it with just anything and it didn't fail. So that's really nice. Kind of like we were talking about just slowly introduce or, you know, pick and choose where you need that. That's really cool. That uh -huh. I thought it was cool when I heard it, but now that we've talked about it, I'm even like more excited about that. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, um, there's always that point in Ruby where you're like, okay, some balance of knowing types is important. You know, like you have full flexibility. You could give me anything. And if you respond to these methods, it's fine. That's, you know, the beauty of Ruby. But when you're building something that is, you know, the public can use like Stripe's API, um, people are going to do weird stuff and you're going to have to have so many exceptions in there and try and be helpful that this makes perfect sense to implement. Um, and then, you know, in for your internal stuff as well, that's great. Or, you know, you think about the size of Stripe as well as a team internally. And so like, if you and I are working on something, we can be like, Oh yeah, you just got to give me this instead of that type. Um, but with Stripe's team being that large, like they can't talk to everyone else inside the company. And so you need some level of that anyways, just to keep some sanity on the, on the team. Yeah. Do you know how much Ruby they're using? I read somewhere that I think they use some Scala, but. I don't, I don't know. I know that they used a lot at the beginning. I'm sure that they're um, using a, a ton of different things. Sure. Um, I, I mean, I think it's great. They're still using it. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the same deal as Shopify and GitHub, you know, like it is more than fast enough for 90 percent of use cases. And then when you need something faster, you always have the ability to drop into another language like there's there's always that option, too. So, yeah, uh, one of my I don't know if we've talked about this before, but one of my one of the tools that interests me the most is Helix. Have you heard of that? That's the, it's a Rust. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So it's a way to write Ruby extensions in Rust. Um, I've never written Rust. I've talked to many smart people who have, uh, but it seems like a cool thing to reach for. Like I've tried to write C extensions, but like I had to learn C while I was trying to write C extensions and it was hard. Uh, so C is not a great easy language to deal with and rust is going to take care of a lot of those things for you and be a little more familiar. So that would be really good to, um, to make that. I haven't used it though. Um, they use it. What for skylight? Isn't that what they built it for originally? Like to make skylights, uh, monitoring service. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Or yeah, I know they have a lot of, smart people doing rust there. So yeah. 
Anything? Yeah, that's a cool okay. one to check out. Uh, anything else Ruby related you want to chat about before we move on? Um, I mean, I, I don't know if people have heard this one. The next uh, story on, on Ruby Weekly was about HTTP RB as a, I mean, there's so many different network utilities in, in Ruby. Like you have net HTTP, HTTP, HTTP party, rest client, open URI, and so on. Um, HTTP RB I've been using recently as kind of an alternative to those. And uh, it is fantastic. I really like it. Um, the interface for it's like pretty much, or it's pretty sim similar to like a REST client or whatever. But if you look at the, <laughs> the benchmarks on it, uh, HTTP RB like kills everything else, it, unless it's a C extension. Um, and this is like pure Ruby. So, gee, er, I just looked at its like comparison, and on the other end of the table is HTTP party, and yeah, 40 meg versus a tenth of a meg. Yeah, for uploading and, 10 megabytes that's nuts. And I've used REST client a lot, and I was really surprised to see how slow it was, <laughs> right? Um, comparison, and like you can always drop down into some of the other options, like curb I've used before in a um, in a Twitter firehose project where we had to listen to all the tweets coming in. So like that was the only thing that would be 100% like able to keep up with the speed because I was just like, grabbing tweets and then putting them on a queue to be processed later or whatever. So that was like, you know, that's probably the fastest, but it requires you to have curl installed, maintain that, and then recompile the gem if you change uh, curl versions and stuff. And it's a little more finicky to work with, but I was quite impressed with the HTTP RB. Um, so I just was going to mention that for anybody building something to interact with an API. Um, this might be a good gem to uh, use. Although um, I don't think people take advantage of Faraday enough either. And Faraday is just sort of like a generic interface that you can plug in different backends. Um, and so, you know, if you wanted to, if you, for whatever reason, didn't want to use one of those backends like net HTTP, you could switch it out for something faster or whatever. Um, that one I think is probably the one that most like API wrappers should use by default. And then you can plug in sort of whatever backend to it. I thought that was cool. And I didn't, it never really, I never really looked into it before. So I didn't quite realize what it, the purpose of it was until I read uh, that like oh, a couple months ago. And I was like, Oh wow. Okay. This makes a lot of sense. So it's just like in a common interface over all those others. That's cool. Is, yeah. I mean, this is very common, like a common problem when you install the Twitter jab, the GitHub jab, the DigitalOcean jab, the, uh, you know, whatever. You have like 10 APIs and every one of those gems requires REST client or HTTP party or whatever. And right. So you, have, you have such an inconsistent um, set of tools hitting these APIs and some may be slower 
or whatever, and you don't know why. And it might just be that, you know, they were using one of these clients, like uh, Russ client that turns out to be slower than we thought. Um, you know, and that's, I thought was an interesting thing. Like I'm probably going to do a screencast on Faraday just to, to talk about that more. Cause I think it's, um, I don't, it's just not used enough, I think. So that I thought was cool. Um, and glad to see that in Ruby weekly and more people talking about that. Yeah, absolutely. Also, uh, also good to see some go rails in Ruby weekly. Yep, that's always good to see. Did my direct uploads episode on active storage. Um, it's pretty easy to do direct uploads with it. I really am impressed with that aspect of it. Around, um, how to how to do some more complex things that were easier to define in Shrine or Paperclip or whatever. Um, I know one of the things that I wanted was like have been doing some videos I want to upload a video and transcode it to the three common formats for browsers but all of the active storage variant functionality is for mini magic only and for images only and so you can't go through and say like I want a mp4 version of whatever video is uploaded because um, there's no a way to plug into that and I think that's frustrating that that isn't flexible enough out of the gate when it came out because surely people upload other formats. You know, we always need ideally an image preview. Um, but what if you're building Audible and you want to, you know, a five second MP3 instead of the full audiobook is your preview instead? Um, so there's, you know, a few of those things where you can work around it, add other attachments, and build your own processing thing but it would just be kind of nice to be able to like say i wanted this variant as an mp4 and then the back end like plugin for active storage knows hey if you did mp4 we'll transcode it this way or whatever i found that kind of disappointing yeah i uh unfortunately have not worked in any active storage so i did not know that What's your uh, file uploading tool of choice up until up until you try Active Storage? Um, let me see what I use on this most recent project. I think the main ones have been Paperclip, Carrier Wave, Refile, and Shrine. For the most part, unless you're using some third party like Cloudinary or whatever. I want to say. Maybe I used Shrine this last time. Mm -hmm. Let me see. I like, I change my mind every time I work on a project. <laughs> like, oh, this one sounds good today. Uh, gem file. Yeah, I've done that, especially with file uploading tools because they're always changing. Um, oh, I've totally lied. No, I use active, I used active storage in this. Um, oh, I used cool. It with S3. So I don't, I don't even, I had no favorite before. I don't, nice. even, I don't even remember working on what I work on. So I've been, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but with active storage, because um, your files are rendered now through rails, it's way slow for mm. serving anything. 
which is frustrating. Um, so pretty much like the requirement now is that you have a CDN and that makes sense for something like, you know, um, a, for example, well, let's say like, uh, you base camp or something like that, where you're uploading files for customers and you know that you're going to need to be on a CDN or whatever, and you have the budget for that. Um, if you don't want to pay for a CDN, uh, it is very slow. Like all of those requests for every file that you've embedded on the page have to go through your Rails application, get then redirected to uh, S3 or whatever, and then sent back through or whatever. And that's like, I've been uploading videos to my little app that I've been working on and it just takes them forever to load. And I was like, what's going on? And then I realized, yeah, oh yeah, this is not like Shrine or whatever, where they have just direct access to the file name and they actually just embed the S3 URL on the page. These are like running through Rails every single time. And that's that's frustrating. Even in production with Puma and stuff, it's slow. Like it's very noticeable. And that's, you know, not going to be a great solution for a lot of people. Like I, I don't... <laughs> CDNs are expensive, I think. And that I think will be kind of a, you know, a way for Shrine or Carrier Wave or what or whatever to stick around and still have a pretty important purpose in the long term. Unless Rails somehow ends up redesigning active storage to to allow something like that that's that can skip that. Yeah, I'd be interested to see how that pans out. I um, I mean, not not really related, but kind of related. There was an article on Hacker News today, uh, Gasp, Hacker News, that was, um, it was it was for static sites, and it was like if you have a static site and you don't have a CDN, you're doing it wrong. And uh, there, I that stuff is, I mean, sure, like if you need the speed, but if it's your personal website and you got a static site. Who cares? My personal blog is a WordPress instance. And okay. like, don't be wrong. Like, it's not like it gets like a handful of hundred hits a day, but like it works totally fine. And like many that big sites good. do the same thing on WordPress. So like, yeah, yeah, yep. I, I digress. Um, well, cool. If there's uh, not anything else you want to chat about Ruby-wise, what's going on uh, with you, Go Rails wise Hatchbox-wise, anything like that? Yeah. Um, well, I've, I've been experimenting with um, the upgrade in Hatchbox to support 18.04 lately. And for the most part, that's similar. Like every year I go, th- or every two years, I guess that comes out. I go through that process and like write the go rails tutorial and all that. But, um, you know, that's been fun to get the upgrade going for, for Hatchbox. I've been trying to get it more ready to begin marketing it. I've been working on it for over a year or something and not really marketed it, which is definitely the developer's mistake being an entrepreneur, but it really hasn't been in a position to be like, really tackled by a lot of people. Um, All the little features just end up being way more complicated to support um, than than I realized. 
because uh, originally I was just going to do something basic, but then we want Let's Encrypt support, and then that changes in big ways and all this. And so I've been just kind of uh, spending a lot of time making that better and then uh, getting that to the point where I can say, okay, let's maybe open up a free tier so you can deploy an app for free and try it out and whatever. I think that would be a huge way of growing it and getting more people and try it out and stuff and, and doing more screencasts on how to use it. Um, so for the most part, I've been kind of like focused on Hatchbox. I've been moving into my new house. So Go Rails and all that have been uh, in a new environment, kind of echoey and all that. And I, I got to get my recording station set up a lot better, but um, those will probably get back to normal pretty soon. But you could tell that they're that I was a little, you know, distracted while I was doing the last few episodes. <laughs> yeah, moving about, is no. Problem. How about you? You start a new job? Yeah. Uh, so started with Podia. If you're not familiar with Podia, we offer a platform for creators selling digital downloads, courses, things like that, and it's fantastic. Uh, small team. I'm employee number eight and wow, great. fully remote getting to write Ruby. I mean, I can't complain. So <laughs> doing that. Yeah. Uh, and we, and full ahead. disclosure, I use Podia for selling my Stripe course, um, which I've, which has been fantastic by the way. Like I uploaded it to Podia and I haven't had to do like hardly anything since. And it just is like probably the simplest and easiest to use one. Cause I've, I've tried some of the other places and also considered building it myself. And it was like, there's no reason not to just use Podia. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually was a customer before I worked there. I bought a subscription, never put anything on it. But I was like, I was so wowed by the product, it like made me want to do it. Of course, I never did. But well, and McKinsey Child is doing some great design work out there. Yeah, I was there um, a week, and then we had a team meetup, and I was like, you know, fanboy like because uh, I bought McKinsey's design for developers like years ago. Uh, and I was like, it boggled my mind. I was like, oh my gosh, I work with McKinsey now. So it was cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a team of eight. That's great. Yeah. I love the teams being that size, you know, like everybody's still able to just spend a lot of time with each other. And once you get to like 20 and so on, it gets harder, but you know, at, at eight, it's just like, you can get anybody's attention at any time and be really close to everybody. I think that's really good size yeah there was on the retreat there's like equal opportunity for me to like get to have like real conversations with everyone so that was cool and it really helped that it was the second week being on the job i got to meet everyone in person so yeah that worked out really nice i bet because when you're working remote um it's still it's still great. Like you still get to talk to people on video, but it's just not the same as sitting down and having dinner with somebody or whatever. Like that there's so much more to it that way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that's been cool doing that. Um 
been working on Southeast Ruby. Southeast got, Ruby. We've got. Uh, did you we get through all the proposals? Yeah, we went through all the proposals. Um, hopefully, by the time this is in the World Wide Web, uh, everyone will have an email. Uh, it was really hard this year. We narrowed it down in our first round to about 25, 30 talks. And that we were like, we want pretty much every one of these to be in the conference, but we only had 11 slots. So, uh, yeah, it was nuts. Like, so me, Ernie Miller, and uh, who's helping me co-organize, and Mike Cochran, who is here in Memphis, we just like hopped on a video chat and like spent, I like scheduled like 40 minutes to do it. And like two hours later, it was like, all right, I think we're almost done. <laughs> That's a good problem to have, especially for your second conference. Yeah, it was really cool. And I, yeah, I really enjoyed the first one. Like it was so much fun. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to this year. I was a little late in planning, um, but uh, Ernie suggested while we were on the call, like bringing in. He was like, "Man, it'd be cool if we could have like a junior developer like look at the talks we've selected." and like help us pick some like from their experience and i was like i know someone so like we called my buddy jeremy up and he joined us so uh, i think it's a pretty good selection i mean obviously i think it's a good selection of uh <laughs> talks this year uh Advi's keynote and um aaron page is keynote and she is from nashville so i'm really excited about that um my friend we haven't announced it yet but my friend nicholas means uh is going to be a keynote and then we have one more that we are going to announce. And so, yeah, I'm really excited about it. It's August 2nd and 3rd in Nashville, Tennessee, um, technically in Brentwood this year, but southeastruby.com. And if you are a Ruby dev, you don't even have to be from the South to join us. So, Yeah, we'll both be there. Um, a bunch of friends. It'll be a good time. It, the con It's not the same location this time, right? It's no. at yeah, it's at Ramsey uh, Solutions Conference Center. So um, Dave Ramsey's team is like mostly Ruby now. Um, so they've got – I know they have like some Java and some React, but they like really went in in Ruby. And so they're big supporters of like the local uh, Nashville Ruby users group. And um, they came in kind of – as a sponsor kind of last minute last year and we're just fantastic. And then this year they offered up their conference center and it's, uh, it's a lot bigger and a lot nicer really, even though where we were last year. So I'm really excited about that. Sweet. Do you think we'll have more, um, attendees this time? What, what, what was last year? Like a hundred or something? Last year was about a hundred. Uh, I hope, I hope to do at least like 150, um, 200. Be my goal, but what's the capacity or whatever? It's huge. Um, okay. We could probably fit like I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. We could probably fit like 500 people in there if we wanted to. So, <laughs> dang, that'd yeah. be great. Yeah. So 2019, um, 500. Uh, <laughs> that'd be great. Sounds yeah. like it'll be a good place. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Um, it, was little, it was a little bit cramped last time. It was yeah. cramped and parking was bad and like the venue was so cool if we had like 50 people there. Yeah. Yeah. How, um, how 
how hard has your conference organizing been? Like you didn't, you'd never done anything like that before last time, right? Right. This time has been a lot easier because a lot of people have just like volunteered to help with like planning and stuff. So uh, Ernie Miller is, he was a keynote speaker last year. He's helping me co-organize this year. And um, the people at Ramsey Solutions have been fantastic. So like, they're not like, just like, we're going to sponsor, like, here's our list of demands. Uh, It's like, we want to sponsor and here's all the people that we have that can like help. And so, yeah, that's been really cool. Um, So they've been fantastic. And then um, Aaron Page, who's one of our keynote speakers, she is like going to put out a call for volunteers, like a Nashville Ruby. So yeah, I mean, like, uh, and then this year my wife is helping me with like a lot of more logistical things. So really I'm like, I don't, I don't even know what I'm doing. So <laughs> you just gotta be the MC now. Yeah. It's fun. It's cool. Um, that's great. Yeah. I'm really excited. I'm, I'm glad that we get to do it again. So yeah, me too. I had a blast at that one. And I like the, I always like the conferences that are smaller cause we get to spend more time with people and, you know, chat with, you could, you could shake DHH's hand, you know, but you can't like really sit down and have a 20 minute conversation with them or whatever, just because the conference is so big. And all yeah, that, that happened. Smaller, I like that. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to DHH and I like, there was like a line of people behind me. So I'm like, okay, what's the one thing we can talk about for like 10 seconds. So I'm not like a complete a-hole <laughs> to everyone else. <laughs> right. So. Yeah, that's that's what I enjoyed about the smaller conferences every time. So Yeah, so doing that and then uh finally going to try and make that React course for Rails I've been talking about doing forever. So There's a lot a lot of people that use React even though I'm a diehard uh Vue.js fan. Um you know, it's it's definitely just such well, I've I've been using React for a little bit of the um, native mobile stuff, and that's been great. But there's a lot of um, there's a lot of things to learn with React as opposed to. I mean, I picked up Vue and was like, I know jQuery well, and that's pretty much all I needed to know to get into Vue and and sort of the same concepts of you know you pass in props and there's internal state. And that's about it. And it takes care of rendering for you. And like, I learned that from React ahead of time and coming to view is like, oh, wow. Like there's nothing here that's too tricky. Um, but I will be, you know, curious to learn more about React stuff from you in your course. Cause the, there is no equivalent of React Native for Vue.js that's, that's uh, let's say up to par. It's sure. bad. <laughs> Yeah, I was toying around with the React Native app the other day, like nothing serious. And like it's it is nice because all ninety percent of the concepts that I know for React from the web apply to React Native. And like I've just never had that experience trying to build a native app before. So Yeah, me either. Um there there's not much of the native APIs that you need to know with React Native, which I thought was great. There's a lot of the other, like Ruby motion is cool, but like if you're not already an iOS developer, like 
uh, Ruby motion is not really going to help you. Like you right. still got to, it's actually going to make it worse. Cause now you've got to go translate all the examples on stack overflow from, you know, Swift or objective C to Ruby motion. And it just ends up making it worse. It's kind of like a lot of people struggle with coffee script, you know, it's like, okay, well, I can find an example in JavaScript, but now I have to convert it. And it just like, doesn't really add much value. Yeah. I was a big like proponent of Ruby motion when I was trying to build an iOS app, because there's a lot of gems that like are really good about like ab abstracting those like framework specific APIs out, but then it's like, okay, I'm ready to do Android and they don't exist for Ruby motion Android. So it's like, well, this was a waste yeah. of my time. So I've been liking, have you used Expo at all? I have, um, the, I used it with create react native app. Okay. Yeah. I've been using that, um, for, I'm trying to do like a video. So I'm trying to, I don't know that I've talked too much about this, but I'm trying to build sort of a third app where, um, doing video support and just adding video into the customer interactions that you do more often. Um, one of the things I was, trying to do is build a rails app uh with a mobile app that i could record videos on and so i've been experimenting with all this for that reason so at some point what i'm probably going to do is just start recording videos of me working on this because i think that would be interesting um and maybe it's a way for me to do some pre like launch marketing or something for it i think it's an interesting concept but if i go and do all this work and then just release it to the world and like, Hey, here's something new that I've never talked about before. I don't think that will, you know, I've done that before with every other thing I built and that doesn't usually succeed. So um, this is going to be a, a big tangent for me, like in my development stuff, because I have to go like now learn native stuff somewhat for react native, but spend a lot more time in react. Um, I know it'd be good, but it's the, and I want to do an electron app for it too, but oh, that yeah. hopefully should be easy and not require too much more than here's a browser embed this website. Yeah. <laughs> I hope at least. Yeah. Electrons always interest me. So, um, but like, yeah. yeah, like you're saying that's, uh, I think that's what I want to do with this react course is like, uh, plug for Podia. Um, with this course, I can set up like a, uh, a pre-launch thing for it. And so like, I can start like promoting it stuff from there. So I think I'm going to set that up and like, uh, start trying to like put some like free content out there just so it's not like I did all this work and I was like, here it is world. So, yeah, I think that's great. Um, Steve Shoger has been doing those little snippets of tweets with, you know, some like little widget he redesigns in amazing ways and like explains really, really well. It, it's been weird to me that there aren't other designers explaining some of these design choices as well as he has. His are like so, so top quality. Um, but I think if you, if you like do a similar thing, like tweet out those things or, you know, post little posts about, here's a little nugget that could be really useful. Um, that'll build a lot of interest and hopefully, you know, when you launch it, it'll be as successful as 
you know, some of the big course launches. That'd be great. But it, all that always comes down to you have to just talk, talk, talk ahead of time. Whereas most of the time as developers, we're like, okay, heads down, let's yeah. go build the course. And like, it's so backwards because really, if you want to be successful with it, you just got to just talk about what you're doing as much as you possibly can, which seems counterintuitive because you're like, well, I want to sell the course <laughs> right? for free. And truth is like, you have to give away like 90% of it. And then your course is that 10% that's really well done. Yeah. So it, it's kind of my thought for it right now is it's kind of a course and then like a, there's a like mini course intro uh, because I, I know when I started react, like as a rails developer, I didn't know a lot about ES six. Oh um, yeah. And yeah. so like I have uh, my, my plan right now is a, like a free little mini course, like ES six uh, essentials for react or something like that, where we just talk about like, coming from ES5 and even CoffeeScript, like specifically for us Ruby devs, like this is why this was introduced and like this is how it compares. And I don't know, something that I wish I had before I uh, went into React headfirst, so. Yeah, I mean, that's, um, Rails has not been great about keeping up with JavaScript and then everybody's like, oh, Webpacker. And then they're like, what is all this junk? And all the all the React tutorials are always just assuming you know yeah six. You're like, oh, did you know you could do classes now? And you can right. do like syntax. And you're like, but it doesn't work in the asset pipeline. <laughs> like, well, it turns out like you got to have these 400 node modules to convert it with Babel and other things to uh, work in your browser. <laughs> yeah. And and that's uh, that kind of picks up to where where the React course will pick up is like, um, I, I want to not only like kind of show you React, but like Webpacker and like how like choosing, like a thing I I know I assumed a lot was that like when you pick up a technology like a Vue or React, like a lot of times that's really associated with like single page apps, but like it doesn't have to be. And that's that's where like React finally clicked for me. It's like, oh, I can just like, like DHH talks about like JavaScript sprinkles. Uh, like I can actually just grab like components and like put them into my Rails app. And like, I don't know. So that's kind of the angle I want to like teach this course from, but. Yeah, I like can... that. Yeah. That's where I ended up getting interested in all this. Cause I like Hatchbox, for example, has like a form, which I really need a designer's help on, but you know, you go through and you choose where you want your servers to live on DigitalOcean, Linode, whatever. And then you have to choose which account you want to use, which region you want to use, how many servers do you want, which servers has which responsibilities, how, how big are those servers? Like this form was such a complicated thing that it still is just like a nightmare to like go in and work on. Cause like I need to go and I haven't finished this yet the editing of that form because there's also a bunch of these restrictions too. Like I don't want you to really change which server is your database server. Cause then I got to migrate your database to another box right. and I might screw that up. And so I want you to do that. These are like a few things where Hatchbox doesn't necessarily help you. 
And those are things where it's like, look, if your database is on that server, that's fine. Just leave it and like let it grow or whatever. Like, don't worry about moving that somewhere else. Or like if you change your load balancer to another server, we got to put your SSL certificates or like redo all that. You know, do we reset it? How does that all work? You know, and so there's a lot of those little things that I was like, oh boy, like creating a cluster is one big, massive problem. And then editing one is also another nasty problem. <laughs> so I like launched it without much editing at all. Um, so I've got to go still get back into fixing that. But that was one where I was like, Vue.js, like this will be perfect because if I tried to hide all this with like a cocoon style form, it just is not going to be as interactive as I need it to be because I need these drop downs to depend on this one, to depend on that one, to depend on this and blah, blah, blah. And so it made a lot of sense just to use Vue for the one budget and that was it. And then, you know, it submits a JSON request to the server and redirects you and that's it. So like, you know, that could have been done in stimulus maybe, but it would have been rough. Um, and the, those are the cases where, you know, you reach for a reactor view and you don't need your entire application to be that way. Um, and, and they can help you by rendering stuff that stimulus couldn't, you know. And so that, I think, was was the benefit there for me using that over stimulus or jQuery or something. Um, and it certainly seems to have done a good job. But, boy, that thing was – that took me – long time to get working and and now it's just super ugly because i was just like i need this to work before i need it to be pretty so yeah we'll see <laughs> awesome well i went long-winded but yeah that is that's what that's what uh i'm working on so yeah this is great well let's wrap this one up here because we definitely went on for a long time um and then we'll just do this again like next week yeah something. So if you uh, if you enjoyed this or you hated it, whatever, let us know. Yeah, um, let us know like how long of these you would like to listen to or whatever. Because if it's you know an hour, cool. Like, or if it's twenty minutes, great. And we'll just set a timer and like you know we'll have a consistent time that we can do going forward. Because um, I think that would be if we do these once a week. Maybe you can do an hour, but probably more than that, it's going to be really rough. Um, and maybe just like 30 minutes or 20 minutes would be great. Um, so whatever you guys are interested in, I'd be really curious to hear um, format-wise and all that. So Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm also curious to hear like, if there's anything that you want us to talk about. Let us know. So. Yep. We are really good at just talking to each other. So. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I will talk to you later. Sounds good. Catch you next week.